Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like expanding capacity for sustainable aviation fuel and biodiesel in Washington state and bringing massive new infrastructure online in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, this so is the yeah. number one show at late That's night. Hey. We have Issa Rae in the house. Hey, Let's kick it off and go. When it comes to late night talk shows, Jesus and Marrow stands out. There's none of the typical stuff you'd expect. No suits, no backup band, no white guys. It feels just like two old friends goofing off, riffing on news and chatting with guests. Jesus Nice and the Kid Marrow have come a long way from where they started out, back when they were a couple of guys from the Bronx cracking jokes on Twitter. They made their names at Complex, MTV, and Viceland and became podcast stars with Bodega Boys. Now in their third season on Showtime, they have the power to shape opinions, decide who gets airtime, and draw on new audiences who've long been ignored in the medium. The brand is strong, as they love to say, but now that they've made it to premium cable TV... Can they keep it up? Daniel Baker and Joel Martinez, a.k.a. Jesus Nice and the Kid Marrow. Welcome to Sway. Hey, hey thanks, thanks for having, having us. us. Yo. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> lay up. Lay up. It's like crush the names. Thank you. I'm trying. 500 feet high. out of the park. Uh, anytime. Anyway, first of all, wait, Marrow, congrats. You, your recovery from COVID. Are you feeling 100% yes. again? How are you feeling? Much better. I'm going to take this time to tell everybody, yo, go get vaccinated right now. And even after your vaccine, wear your masks because this shit is not a joke. I had four days where I was like, I'm going to die. I never felt worse in my entire life. And now you feel 100% or? 110%, except the weird lingering fatigue thing. Yeah. So you've been vaccinated. Right, Jesus? Yes. You have. I got good. my second shot on Saturday. Great. Oh, fantastic. And no side effects so far, so we're good. Everyone worried me about it to the point I went to the supermarket the day before, and you'd have thought I was going on the Oregon Trail. I just loaded <laughs> up on soup and water and all the staples. Just, I, thought I, was, I, was, I didn't know what to expect. I did not thought of the Oregon Trail in so long. Wow, well, the Oregon <laughs> yeah, listen, Trail. New York City public school kids. They're probably still <laughs> playing it to this day. That's right. Exactly. Oh, with the Conestoga wagons and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, on the Apple twos. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Anyway, I want to start with something we have in common, which is our love of Twitter. I yes. can't go with single day without it. How do you guys feel about Twitter now? How are you feeling about the medium? Um, oh, It's like, it's a little weird because it's like, when you get on Twitter and you're not quote-unquote famous, you're just a person on Twitter. So it's just like, you know, you're talking to your friends, you're interacting with people, you're telling stories, blah, blah, blah. And then like, if you blow up over yeah. Twitter or whatever, it kind of changes the way people interact with you. Because, like, it's less like, yo, I want to know, but, like, how you're doing and, like, yo, you're a funny dude. And now it's just like, oh, okay, let me troll him and see if I can get a reaction or whatever. So it's just like, you kind of got to, like, you know. It doesn't get under your skin, but it's just like, yo, I don't need to, I'm logging off for the day. I don't need to deal with this. So it's a love-hate relationship with Twitter. But when it's good, it's really good, especially during Nick games. So you first got noticed for your interactions on Twitter. Um, when was that, by the way? So take us back. 
That was like 2012. We both had jobs we really didn't like. And then every now and then I'd interact with Miro because we have the same Bronx background. We've known similar people. And people just love the interaction between us. And we're like, we want to see more. A lot of people are funny online. A lot of people are not funny. But what do you think you were doing that that people liked? I think it's just being real. Just like shooting from the hip. You know what I mean? Like not to, you know, use a corny dad metaphor. But yeah, it was just two guys who related to each other, who have similar experiences, similar backgrounds. And our worldviews are shaped by the way we grew up, where we grew up, our parents, our backgrounds, you know, first-generation immigrant kids. All those similarities kind of created this thing where it was just easy to just bounce jokes off of each other. Right. And then also, it's just like, what you see is what you get. When you meet us, we're exactly the same way. You're going to hear us on the podcast, you see on the show. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's really successful on Twitter or any of these social medias in this way or in podcasting is genuine to themselves, whether you like them or not. Right. But... That does come with some caveats, though. For example, Chrissy Teigen, who we know, she was very genuine on Twitter and it landed her getting run off Twitter because the thing is, you have to remember, your tweets are your tweets and your worldview is your worldview, but that's not necessarily the worldview of the people reading your tweets, and especially during a pandemic. You have to be aware, like, just because you're rich doesn't mean everyone reading your tweets are rich. So you can't, it's like if I go and I'm like, hey, you know, the new yacht, I can barely back it into my marina. Wait, do you have like, a new no, yacht? No. I do not have. I do not have, a, I do not have a new yacht or an old yeah, yacht. Listen, I do not have any nautical anything. From your lips to God's ears. No nautical, nothing. Yeah, yeah, nothing. No. The no. closest I have is a bottle of Old Spice. But, Keeps um, you real. Keeps you real. Yeah. So, when did you decide to get together and do a real life collaboration? It was funny because, like, we were kind of like floating the idea of like, yo, let's do something. We don't know what it is, but let's do something. And then, like, serendipitously, shout out to Donnie Kwok from Complex. He reached out and he was just like, yo, you guys are funny on Twitter. Let's see if this translates to a podcast. Which is real early. Yeah, real early. This was 2013. And I remember it was a guy in my office that sat next to me. He listened to a podcast. And I remember literally Googling what is a podcast to figure out what it was. And I read about H4N Zoom recorders and all this. And, you know, back then, if you didn't have money for equipment, there was no way to do a podcast. So that was another major stumbling stone for us. Like, we did not have the money to do that. So shout out to Complex. And again, Donnie Kwa, they gave us a chance and it took off from there. All right, so let's take a listen to that first podcast, uh, Jesus versus Mero. Here's a clip from your first episode. This is the premiere episode, Jesus versus Mero. It's your boy, Young Chipotle. You know what I'm saying? It's your boy, Kid Mero, a.k.a. Human Do Rag Flap, a.k.a. I got several pairs of NBA jeans. Boom, and me, myself personally, you know me as Nelson Bangdella. <laughs> Pocket stay fat like Tyrio. Mr. Walkthrough, don't wait for a fucking burrito bowl in Chipotle. Holler at your boy, scream at me, ma. Wow, I have not heard that in years. All right, tell me what you think. What you have to remember is, when you hear that, I am in a suit because I had to wear a suit every day for my job, my office job. Explain your office job. My office job, because my parents came here from Jamaica, I have literally had almost every possible job a human can have in New York City. And at this time, I was a small business reporter for Mm -hmm. a magazine I'd rather not name because I hate them. And for some reason, we weren't allowed to work from home, even though it was just typing. And we had to dress up every day. And then, like, just to get my mind right to meet up with Miro, on the way from my office to Complex, I would buy a Limerita, that uh, malt beverage, and get right, and just get there. And then we sat mm-hmm. there in the room over the Zoom recorder, and we recorded our first episode. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing at the time, Mero? 
I was working as a paraprofessional in a junior high school. You know, they were, it was a rough group of kids. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to them. A lot of them have reached back out to me and been like, yo, Sorry I'm super about proud that. of you, et cetera. Yeah, yo, my bad. I was just a kid bugging out. And then after that, I would just hop on the D train boop, and shoot over to the Time Life building, which is where Complex was at at the time, and do the podcast. Yeah. And you had a bunch of things you did. Like, explain what you were doing in that clip we just listened to with AKA. Uh, that's a shout out to Wu Tang Clan, one of yeah. the greatest rap groups ever. You know, they had what they call Wu Gambino names, where everyone would have extra names on top of their rap names. So we always were just like, hey, you know what? Let's just be funny and we're just going to keep adding AKAs. So the, the problem is now on our current podcast, it's like 20 minutes. Our, yeah, our AKAs <laughs> take up quite an amount of time. And it used to be, we used to do the AKAs twice because it was so short. We do it in the beginning and the end. Now we just have to do the AKAs at the end because it's almost a separate podcast. And the AKAs all have, like hidden references in them and they might reference other older episodes of the podcast they might reference political figures like there's a lot of like little catch me's in it so people enjoy that little easter eggs oh, I, I think they're great um so what point do you both like we can quit our day jobs now we can get rid of the suit stop writing for post today i had kids you know what i mean so like for me it was like i can't quit my job until i have another job job because the, the complex thing was dope, but it was, like, supplemental income. Like, it paid for, like, diapers and, like, other yeah. stuff. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so like, extra well, money. I couldn't. Yeah. So, literally, it's, like, the end of the complex podcast when we went to mm-hmm. MTV mm-hmm. is when I quit. Like, I first day at MTV, I called my boss, and I was just, like, principal of school, and I was like, yo, I got a job at MTV. Mm-hmm. I won't be coming back for this next school year. Right. You started appearing on MTV, too. And around that time, you also launched your podcast, Bodega Boys, which is still running today. It is almost 240 episodes now. Let's listen to a clip from an early episode of that. There's little kids in the Bronx that don't know there's over 500 types of cheese. No idea. That's so sad. There's more cheese types than there is species of I'm going to start a charity or cheese awareness for inner city youth. That'll be lit. That's going to be my J-Lo That'll shit. That'll be lit. I'm going to get mad like, white people to donate to it. Like, yo, I'm doing good. You <laughs> <laughs> like mad, obese, lactose intolerant kids yo, all over the South Bronx. I'm, I'm still working on that charity. I'm still trying to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> um... Cheese charity. Tell me about Jeez. it. That's, it. that's, just, <laughs> that's just the the absurdness of our podcast. And right. it's like so many layers to that joke. The joke is there's obesity in the South Bronx. There's food deserts in the South Bronx. Yeah. The other joke is, you know, most black people are lactose intolerant. Why would you be feeding like African-American kids cheese? Then the idea of like, it's like the fresh the air fund. Like, that is people nice. could, Yeah, J-Lo donates money to the Bronx. And, like, so it's just, it's just, a, and then the visual is just hilarious. Just like kids passed out off of Gouda. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, there's a lot of New York and Bronx in your shows. Do you feel a wider audience is in on the jokes and interested in New York? Yeah. People are always interested in New York. Even if they hate New York, they'll watch something about New York. And then, like, if you take away that veneer mm-hmm. of, like, yo, we're from the Bronx. Right. There's a lot of other stuff that's relatable, like relationship stuff, family stuff. You know what I mean? Like, we joke around, like, you know, lactose intolerance. Like, that's not Bronx-specific. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things that we talk about that are not super on-the-nose Bronx, New York. Yeah, because you definitely keep the Bronx stuff for that audience. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And then the Bronx is, like, so wild. There's stories that happen in the Bronx, and, like, right off the title, I can tell this is the Bronx. Like, it's like the, the famous saying they say on Twitter, the Bronx is different. Oh, yo. Oh, a guy walking into the bodega with a ra- pet raccoon on his shoulder? Yeah, no, it's regular yeah. Bronx yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's regular uh, stuff. 
But we love it because it's also it's indicative of how the Bronx kind of is like the last borough to retain that old gritty right. 1970s, right. 1980s New Yorkness. And that's what we were raised on. And we are the byproduct of that. So it just comes out. What's happened to the other boroughs? How do you look at the other boroughs like Brooklyn? Well, see, the other boroughs had a chance. The other boroughs did not get burned down. So the Bronx is still catching up to those things. We just got City Bike. So other places, they're living and thriving and they're gentrifying. And the Bronx, we're just getting certain things in the Bronx. Do you want that to happen? You don't, but that's the thing. It's not out of your control. The Bronx is gentrifying and it's happening really fast. And it's very weird to see because... They're building these luxury towers and the community is like, yo, we got nothing for you. There's no supermarkets over here. There's no restaurants for me to order from. There's no bars. So welcome to the Bronx. But it's scary that people are getting pushed out. And, you know, it's it's what happens in New York. I had to move to Jersey. Like, I got four kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, And it's not because it's like, oh, the Bronx is dangerous. I literally could not afford to live there. Are you keeping up with the mayoral race? Of course. All right. Yeah. What candidates are you excited about? Um, any candidate that takes New York serious and is not treated like a science project. Yeah. Okay, that would be Andrew Yang, I'm guessing, correct? Yeah, that would. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so. It's a weird thing of being on Twitter and seeing people not from New York backing a candidate and they don't live here. And they're saying that these policies would be good for New York. And it's also, you know, like the idea of you failed to become president, so now being mayor of New York is the... Is the consolation prize? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right, actually. That's why he's ahead. That's actually a good move, is to run for president and lose, because it gives you all this name recognition. It gives you all this name recognition. It gives you funding, but it's just like, are the ideas that you're proposing good for the city? Is it what the city needs? Especially at a time when the city is reeling from the pandemic, and we need to get back on our feet. We have got to save Broadway. We got to save all the school systems, all this stuff. And you have someone with no experience just coming out of nowhere... And everyone's like, oh, these are great. These are radical ideas. It's like, is now yeah. time for radical ideas? And it's always funny to see people excited about radical ideas that are not going to affect their lives, the lives of people they know, or their family members. Uh-huh. So what do you think, Mara? You know, the field was, like, vast. Kind of like, I'm going to use a basketball metaphor. You know, there's, like, the number one top-seeded team, and they're, like, far and away, like, 20 games ahead of everybody else, and then there's everybody else. Yang is, like, the top guy, whatever, because of the the dumb viral videos and the stunts and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. But then when digging into, like, actual issues and listening to, like, policy and this, that, and the third, I kind of keyed in on Diane Morales because she's the former teacher, single parent, actual, like, citizen of New York, born and raised, you know, and, like, has good ideas, you know what I mean, that benefit people, working-class people. What about Maya Wiley or Scott Stringer? Maya Wiley, she seems like a good candidate. She has some uh, good policies. I'm familiar with her from MSNBC, Great lawyer. So I think she has some good ideas, and she actually was, like, battling with Andrew Yang about the handling of, like, food vendors. Right. Yeah, he just did that, right? Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with just spitting ideas out there, but then you're going to have other candidates that's going to challenge you. And like Miro said, it's so early in the election that, like, now we have to wait for it to get whittled down to, when, to actually see people's policy. Because right now you kind of have, like, fringe candidates and candidates that you know, they're just, like, talking and making noise, and you know they have no chance of actually getting anything. So it's just, like, you have to, like, kind of save the energy and watch the signal to noise with these people. Although yeah. it's not a lot of time until the primary. So it could, you know, he's so far ahead. It's really, he, he and Eric Adams, actually, are the... Are the are yes, the, but, yeah. I mean, listen, the New York mayoral race, you got to watch it. It's tricky, because remember Christine Quinn? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yes, she was next, and then she wasn't. Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner was, was next, and then he wasn't. 
Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. A very unfortunate name and self-inflicted wound. Or fortunate, depending on how yeah. you look at it. It worked. Yeah, it, it worked, worked for him. him. You know, um, in the end. So, or for the for the back page of the New York Post. Yeah. So you think anything could happen? Uh, you gotta watch. Literally. Yeah. You gotta watch. But I feel like one thing is for sure. Like no matter who the mayor is, everybody's mm-hmm. like, "Fuck the mayor." Yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's one of those. It's one of those positions. Like, why would you want it? <laughs> why do you want this job? It's like being a junior high school principal. You cannot please New Yorkers. Yeah. What's the last mayor everybody liked? Nobody, right? LaGuardia. Look, oh yeah, you got to take it back. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say Dinkins, and it was like, no, absolutely not, not Dinkins. No, he. I lived in New York during that. No, oh, man. no, no, no. Like The only people who liked Dinkins were tennis players, and that was it. It's a hop, skip, and a jump to Governor Cuomo. Can we discuss with him mm-hmm. for a second? He's oh, currently being investigated for everything, I think. His handling yes. of pandemic and nursing homes, allegations of sexual harassment, his effusive use of Italianisms. As an Italian, it's somewhat <laughs> yes. offensive to me. How do you think he's handled it? I don't, what, is, what are your thoughts? You know what? Because growing up, Cuomo is a brand name. And it's kind of something New Yorkers have just always been like, yeah, that's the governor. That's what they do. Yeah. The Cuomo boys. Cuomo's. The Cuomo, but yeah. It's this. This is like a reckoning. People are just like, enough is enough is enough. And he is, he's kind of shocked. He's like, are you guys serious? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen to him? I mean, the numbers are not that bad for him, considering all the things I, that are. I, I think he might just chill. I think he yeah. might. I don't see him resigning. So shamelessness is going to get him out of this, essentially. Yeah. Shameless. I, absolutely. Leaning right into it. Listen, just head down, move forward. And then he's doing all the distractions. Yeah. Out of nowhere, they legalize weed. Out of nowhere. Yeah. What do you think about him doing that with weed? It's one of those things in New York where it's just like, that's cool that he legalized it, but let's be realistic. NYPD is still going to stop people for smelling like weed. They're still going to search. It's like kind of like how they, they got rid of stop and frisk. They got rid of chokeholds. Those are still out there. And then there's so many loopholes. And it's like, so if you live in a project, you can't smoke anything in there. So you get a, like a summons for that. So, you know, it's we have to see how NYPD is going to respond to it. And everyone thinks it's just like, yo, just hit the streets with a blunt in your mouth. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, no, no. And so you're, you're not bullish on Cuomo. It's just that he's going to do the bowl and win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to reiterate, like as soon as all that news broke and the scandal and everything, it's like, yo, we legal, y'all. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Sasha Baron Cohen, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Deezus and Marrow after the break. If you had more time in the day, would you take a nap, read a book, talk with a friend? When something's important to you, it's easier to make time for it. Therapy can help you decide what matters most. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on your schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash hardfork today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash hardfork. My name is Thomas Gibbonsneff. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, field roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? 
Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, check in with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. So back to you guys. After Bodega Boys hit its stride, you landed a deal with Viceland for a late night show in 2016. My Uh kids love this show. Tell me how that came about. Oh, that was uh, Nick Weidenfeld, our good friend and a homie. Mm-hmm. He actually had a position at Viceland and uh, shout out to Spike Jones. They were like, yo, we want to change television. We want to be experimental. And it just like right place, right time. And Ugh. we went out there and did it and right. did it a lot. Let's talk about that. It was a show on Viceland. It was called uh, Jesus and Marrow. And it was four days a week, which is a lot. Tell me how you managed that. Did you have a big team? Oh, uh, no. no, there was no there was no writers. No writers, just researchers. Right. They had that operation out of Williamsburg. You did it out of that office, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. That was our, our office was that, it was like a conference room with a bear in the back. It was background. a conference room, yep. I mean, that was learning the ropes of making television and yeah. the way we did the show. It was literally me and Meryl sat down directly to camera, no retakes, just riffing. Right. Just completely 100% off the cuff riffing. And we just did that four days a week. You just had to show up. It wasn't like, yo, I don't feel well. There's no show. It was like, no, every day you have to make a show. Nah, you're going. All right. If you feel funny, feel funny, make the show. Somehow get into this office and make the show. And the thing is, it was fun to make. It didn't feel like work. It's just me, Miro, and the production crew just riffing and making the sound yeah. guy laugh. And a lot of those people that we worked with now, we took from Vice and took with us to the new show because it was such an intimate crew and so such yeah. a small crew that it felt like family members. And it, it was the important show at Vice at the time. It was their flagship show, I would call it that. Um, but you left. Tell me a little bit about the decision that went into leaving. It's like a contract year. You know, I'm using another sports analogy. We're free agents. Other teams are interested. And, you you know, they're bringing forth their offer sheets. Your reps talk to you know, these people and da-da-da-da. And you negotiate and da-da-da. And you go with the best deal that's on the table. Oh, I've been there. So I do. I know it's a little more complex than that. I mean, when you feel like you don't get resources or whatever. One of the things you said, Mero, was we were literally the LeBron of that network. As a dad, you want to be around for the milestones like graduations, birthdays, and it's obnoxious to be like, I can't go to my kid's graduation because we leave the studio at three o'clock and the graduation is at four. And then Jesus, you said the channel wanted us to die for this fucking network. We're the highest rated show on the network. Put some respect on our name. Have someone come massage my feet. I thought it was a great show. Um, uh, and you said, we're not divas. We're flexible dudes. They kind of undervalued us a bit. Talk about that. Well, I mean, you know what? Looking back at it, like now that we've had more time and much more experience in Hollywood and just making TV and stuff, it like Meryl said, it was like a it was a contract thing and it's like a scaling thing. Like, you know, Viceland was a, they're a small channel. The way that interview came out, it sounds worse than it actually was. But at the end of the day, the way Hollywood works is you don't want to burn bridges with people because everything is a conglomeration yeah. and they show Jesus and Meryl on Viacom channels now. So it's just like you learn and you come in full circle. And it's just like it's like I said on the podcast. It's just Hollywood, baby. You previously said that Vice abruptly ended your contract early, two months before it was supposed to end. Did you ever find out why? Yeah. 
Nah. <laughs> nah, I never gave a fuck. I was just like, am I getting paid still? Yes. Okay, cool. I got a summer vacation. <laughs> you you never found out why. Never cared. Never cared. Never cared. Because you know what? There's no point of just like concentrating on the negativity. Right. Like something like that. You're just like, all right, well, that's how you feel. We're moving on to better things. So, so you didn't ever just say what W2F or why, why are you nah, doing this? Our whole career has been like, we, we're like sharks. We can't stop swimming. We got to just keep swimming. Like that's what we do. Even when we're sleeping, we're swimming. We, we got to go. So there's no time to look back and be like, hey, why'd you do that to us? You know, to quote Nas, always forward, never backwards. Stupid, here's another classic. So tell me about why you made the decision to go to Showtime. They came to us. And other people wanted us. And we had meetings with other channels. Other places were like, we want to change it to this. Showtime was like, no, we got you. We're going to let you be you. And then people, you know, we got like, a lot of people took shots. And not necessarily to be negative, but just like, yo, why would you go to Showtime? That's like a premium network. People are not going to be able to watch you. But it's just like, we knew wherever channel we were going to, not only would our loyal fans follow us, but would be no issue to get new fans. So your show on Showtime is a little different, what you've done in the past format, including more sketches. And you talked about having no staff, writing staff, and now you do. But you're still trying to sound like two guys from the Bronx just hanging out and cracking jokes. Uh, let's listen to a recent clip of that. I would just like to point out something. We wrote a book. Obama writes a book. We have a podcast. Obama has a podcast. Yo, fam, ease up. Ease up. You stop riding the wave. Like, come on, man. Yo, what's Why, that? Yo. Michelle and Barry? On Showtime, following Deez Zamero. Like, you know what I'm saying? Man. Like, yo, like, yeah, we, appreciate, we appreciate the flattery, but thank relax, you. Man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that was after we interviewed Obama. He was cooking our Knicks. And yeah. it, 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 but the good part is it's all it's all like lighthearted and, and yeah. good, you know, like we're just riffing. It, when we interviewed him, it was good energy. So we're able to do a joke like that. Cause we know he watches the show. He probably saw that. It was like, ha ha, yeah. them. You know. He's like, I, I've been watching your show. So I saw what you yeah. said about my pants. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, okay. Like your voice goes up a couple actives, you know? Like, oh, okay, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so Obama's watching your show. And has your audience changed now that you're on showtime? Who is your audience now, would you say? It's everyone. We meet people. Um, they do not look how you expect them to look. And then, like what? Give me an example. Well, we uh, we were South by Southwest, and we met. Yes. Like, like she had to be like in her seventies or her eighties year old white woman, mm -hmm. and she was shaking. She was physically shaking from meeting us because she was so excited oh, to meet okay. us. What'd she say? Like I I love you guys so much. Uh -huh. But then, like, people assume, like, people just like, oh, all your fans are in Bronx people. And then we have people who are like, all your fans are white. And we're just like, no, it's not monolithic. And you can't say mm -hmm. this specific person is our fan. But when you think about having a water arms and, and a writer's room, how do you maintain your voice? Well, the first part of our show is definitely just us riffing. Yeah. There's no writing involved in that. You, you see the writers, it's more for, like, when you see the sketches or, like, the more planned out segments. But when it's just me and Miro directly to camera, that's just us. So they don't have to worry about putting it in our voice because it's literally in our voice. But then even with the sketches and things like that, we work with the writers. The writers don't say, here's a sketch I wrote without talking to you. We work heavily with the writers. The best analogy would be like, we're water and they're the irrigation ditch. Like they help move it to the final destination. Otherwise, we'd just be on the camera rambling for two hours, which people love, but you cannot do that because that's not how TV works. Yeah. And, like, you know, we're not typical late-night hosts, right? So, like, this is said, like, we you can't just hand us, like, a printed monologue and be like, yo, read this straight to camera. What brought the flies to the honey was us, was the banter, the riffing, the chemistry, you know what I mean? Like, that was literally the entire show. And we added some bells and whistles now, you know, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
at one point in an interview said, our goal is to have Jesus and Marrow be Jesus and Marrow. Are you worried about losing your voice at all? I mean, it happens with a lot of people. The bigger you get. Um, it's not so much losing your voice, but it's just about how much growth will the audience allow you? Because I don't want to be doing the same jokes I was doing in 2014. Like, if that's what I'm doing in 2021, I've failed. And that would also make me miserable. But at the same time, it's just like, the voice of Deez Zamero is more than just Timberlands and chopped cheeses and yours. And if that's what you come to the show expecting, you're eventually going to be disappointed because every now and then we have people like we had Dr. Fauci on and people are like, why do you have Dr. And I'm like, because it's a pandemic and that's the kind of person we need to have on the show. And you, every now and then people get upset at things we do. And I'm like, you know what? I enjoyed doing that. And Meryl enjoyed doing that. So we don't really care what you thought. So that's how you keep your voice. At the end of the day, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and be happy with who you are and not pander no. to the people who you're never going to meet. Right. But you've seen it happen with people who get really famous. They change quite a bit. I know the people I cover certainly have. And and, wow. and, and famous comedians. I mean, I feel like we got a ways to go. I, I don't right. know. I, it's going to be a while. <laughs> not at you the sad, what? pathetic part of your career. The- Listen, you know, give me a brownstone for my uh, Corvettes and let's see. Uh, we'll do an experiment to see if I stay the same. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So one of the things that you... You talked about, is you said recently, that people have been telling you they get their news from your show. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that? It's a big responsibility. <laughs> it's a little frightening. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. I guess better than Fox News, but go ahead. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like Jesus said about Dr. Fauci, like that was an important guest to have because the people who say we get our news from you, like, okay, cool. Now let's get all the disinformation that you heard in the barbershop out of here and bring the actual guy who's in charge of this shit to talk to you guys. How do you decide what to cover? Whatever culture is talking about right now is what we talk about. Because there's certain things that Twitter will be discussing that might not necessarily hit other people's timelines or things that hit our timeline that interest us that would never make any other late night show. So that's generally how we do it. It's not all Matt Gates or whatever. Right. Like, even if you look like that, we would never cover on our show. Twitter loved that. And it's just kind of like, that's not really in our wheelhouse because, first of all, that story is very sad. And secondly, there's not that much funny in it. Like, people are making jokes, and they're like, oh, he's paying sex workers using Venmo. And it's like, well, some of our friends are sex workers. What's funny about that? You know, so it's just like, we don't talk about stories we don't care about. Right. And do, do, you, do you consider yourselves journalists? Um, to a certain extent. I mean, I guess. In the sense that we are reporting on what's going on, I wouldn't say, like, yo, I'm, like, on the level of, like, somebody who really like, investigative journalists who, like, spent their entire life, like, digging and researching and, like, whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't consider myself a journalist because I was, like, when my office job, when I was a reporter, just working with actual people who have that love for journalism. I worked with Darren Sands, one of the greatest reporters I've worked with, and just the way he would trace down sources, go after quotes, stay late night in the office, knowing that our boss was going to cut eight pages out of an article that he wrote. And he didn't care because... The story was that important to him. And I've never had that passion like that. So I wouldn't call myself a journalist like that, but maybe comedian, maybe performer, something more along those lines. Um, Speaking of, you know, late night, historically has been a very white place, continues to be. I'm curious about how you, how conscious you were of going in and, and if you see that changing. Yeah, it's weird because it's just like, 
this is just the formula of it. And no one ever tried to rock it. No one ever said, let's change it. Let's try something. You know, you've had Arsenio. You've had Magic Johnson. You've had different anomalies every now and then. that happened. You know, Arsenio's show was great at the time. It People was. It was. It really was. It really was. And it's just like, you know, like we came in. And that was actually the tagline of our the Viceland show. It was just like, no white guys. But then as we got, you know, as more established and now we're on Showtime, you're starting to see more diverse faces in there. You're trying to, you got Trevor Noah out there. So that's good to see. There's been some progress in it. But is it enough? Probably not. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, Hollywood is very slow in the uptake, typically. So speaking of that, you know, if there's a blueprint where there's situations where executives were giving you notes based on previous shows, they felt they were completely wrong. Do you listen to anyone? I don't listen to anybody. I just, yeah. like, oh, I, I mean, I pretend to, but I, I, of course my producers are listening, but. Yeah, no, exactly. There's definitely been experiences where, you know, execs feel they know better or they underestimate you and you have to learn how to react to these situations, what to say, what not to say. And a lot of times it's not about pushback with notes. A lot of times with the notes, you just got to be like, yeah, I saw your note. Yeah. And that's it. Like noted. you don't got to note it. Or you'll be like, you're red. Because it's just like, at the end of the day, if you know what you're bringing in front of the camera, you can't listen to someone else who doesn't know what and can't do it. All right. Can we talk about uh, cancel culture? When mm-hmm. you're putting yourself out there as you guys are, everyone's in danger of being canceled. I guess I don't, I'm, I have a different take. I think it's called consequence culture. I'm sort of with Roxanne Gay on this one. Yep. But do you think about that at all? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because one of the things I, I really enjoy about our comedy is you can see growth and you can see it's two guys honestly and actually trying to be better people and not so much being sensitive, but just being actual good human beings and not punching down on people for absolutely no reason. Like, you can get a joke there, but it's just like, how long is your career going to be if like you're just making people laugh by doing slurs? That's not who we are. That's never who we've been. And like you said, it's consequences. Like, you you know, you could get defensive. You'd be like, ah, fuck it. I was just joking. Or you could like actually take a little extra time and be like, you know what? Let me come at this at a different angle. Or maybe let me explore this to see why this is this and why this community feels this way about a certain subject. Sure. Although many comics feel like you should be able to do anything. Do you think that's the case with comedy now where it's going? I mean, like, I don't think you should be able to do anything you want. Cause like, there's some stuff that's just like, bro, you're crossing a line that you shouldn't cross. But like Jesus said, it's just like, don't be an asshole. But you still have the problematic light ready just in case, correct? Just in case. You know what <laughs> and I'm the problematic light, it's, it's not an excuse. It's more yeah. like, yo, we recognize, like, yo, we were just wilding. I'm guessing I'll get canceled before you will. In any <laughs> case, um, so do you ever think about breaking away? Because, you know, you guys have been climbing up the ladder, essentially, the entertainment ladder. Do you imagine you could do it on your own? I mean, that's what we do with our podcast. There's no corporate sponsor. We actually got funded and there's no ad reads on our podcast. And it's like, we make our own schedule. We don't have to answer to anybody. So in that format, we just probably will build out more of the Bodega Boys production. And I think eventually we probably will be our own like company, our own me. I mean, we already are, but just more of just us producing and distributing our own stuff. So what would you like to produce? Everything. Oh, like man. Children's books, children's plays, puppet shows, it. just anything. Because the mm-hmm. thing is, like, it's Did fun you say to make. puppet shows? Puppet shows, man. I thought you said puppet shows. Did you say puppet, puppet shows? Yes, yeah. yeah, so I said puppet yeah. shows. I mean, listen, we, we're just working. We will do anything. We're writing. We're trying to be in movies. Trying. Are you working on a movie? Uh, Kind of, sort of, yeah. We're working on so many What's projects. What's kind of, sort of? Well, you know what it is? Yeah. one of those things where you can't talk about projects that you're working on? Contractually? Contractually? Oh, my God. You guys are contractual. Come on. Yes. Listen. Listen. The, the one thing, one thing 
in Hollywood you learn is when they t- when they tell you be quiet, you be quiet. <laughs> Y'all don't fuck yeah. my money up. Don't <laughs> fuck my money up. <laughs> you, you see know, those the old four of those b- people back there? Yeah, I gotta feed them. Yeah, all right. Now that you've got to know me better, do you think you can help me with some AKs for myself? That's something you feel very strongly about. Or a hobby or uh, like a weird quirk of yours that your friends would know. Uh, I guess Ali Love on Peloton. Peloton. And- oh, 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 say, say yeah. less. Say less, Peloton. Yeah. The Peloton yo, professor. There you go. You know what I'm saying? The Peloton <laughs> podcaster, yo. You know what you it know is. What I mean? That, oh, yo, she doesn't ride the Peloton. She's giving them Helathon. Yeah, you know what I mean? All right? Allie loves I don't. Like that. Uh, very good. Okay, all right. I think that's funny for me. I was going to say Diet uh, diet Cherry Coke, but I'm not um, doing that. No, you can't make hey, one. Listen. You can't make one out of that. Don't even try. It's so pathetic oh. and sad. In any case, this has been a delight. Uh, I'm very excited for your upcoming movie, which you told me about in detail, according to the <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much i really appreciate it thank you so much for having us thank you shot the sway <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks you guys bye take care thanks thank you sway is a production of new york times opinion it's produced by Naima Raza, Blake Nishik, Hiba El Urbani, Matt Kwong, and Daphne Chen. Edited by Naima Raza and Paula Schumann. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Eric Gomez, and fact checking by Kate Sinclair. Special thanks to Shannon Busta and Liriel Higa. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts, so follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, with a sneak peek of Jesus and Mero's upcoming film, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. Okay, here's how Mero works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another 100 meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com.